born in the pandemic era, thriving in the Zoom era, it's Resonance Rewind with Robin Pierce, Jessica Burtis, Kathy Manzo, Alex Lefchuk, and more, sharing lessons from the creatives of yesteryear for the population of today. The ever-dwindling population, because quite frankly, we're still in the pandemic era. Red Angel. Resetting Timelines. The Ongoing Saga of Christopher Pike and Vina. And the return of the Telosians. All this plus post-traumatic stress disorder can only be another edition of Resonance Rewind. Remember, section 31 is watching you, Robin, as you actually deliver this particular piece. Section 31 is watching all of us, especially if we're remembering things that are going to happen tomorrow. Exactly. My future memories are being wiped. Well, tonight it's If Memory Serves, which sees us in episode eight of season two of Star Trek Discovery. Now, this is going to take a little bit of explanation, because unlike Star Trek, the original series, this is an ongoing story arc, and it's taken us most of the season to get to this point. Um, By word of explanation, Star Trek Discovery is set 10 years before the adventures of Kirk and the crew of the Enterprise in the original Star Trek. So here we have the Starship Discovery, um, currently captained by Christopher Pike, 
whom we saw last week, but played by a different actor. Um, <laughs> In fact, two different actors, actually, to be precise, Robin. We had well, Sean yeah. Kenny and uh, uh, Jeffrey Hunter. Well, yeah, you're just adding to the confusion. Um, I'll tell you what, let's hold it there and let's Bok get into has... the whole thing. Okay. Je Jessica, I'll turn to you first because you weren't able to join us last week for the two-part episode of The Cage, but you did send me a final score of nine out of ten. So that being said, here we are with Star Trek Discovery, a mid-season episode of the second uh, season, uh, if memory serves, clearly playing on the same characters, working through those. I sympathise and I share Robin's pain because actually this is one of those things where if you're not familiar with the whole system, it can be very confusing. But Jessica, your initial thoughts, please. Yeah, so I, I was interested to see how this would kind of play out since it was a bit um, it included like allusions to the other. Um, I was there is a lot to the plot. So I feel like there were a lot of aspects that I would have understood more if I had watched the whole Star Trek Discovery. Um, but it was still interesting to try and figure out kind of what was going on with the uh, little interpersonal connections between the characters. Um, I had a lot of fun with it. I think it was interesting seeing um, like an updated version of the Star Trek world, um, especially with, you know, um, CGI and things like that, where they could have a lot more fun with it than I think in the original. They might have been a bit more limited. Um and seeing Spock before was kind of cool. Seeing him before the original series was pretty fun. Um, so I actually enjoyed it. I watched it with my mom downstairs. Uh, so And she had watched the original Star Trek, of course. So that was fun, I think, for her. Um, I think she was still trying to figure out what was going on with the whole uh, subplots and things like that. Um, but I liked it. I had a dream last night about aliens, too. So it feels like very appropriate <laughs> that we're talking about it <laughs> today. Um, so yeah, I had fun with it. Yeah, you see, fiction, reality, I don't know. Let's let's go back to an original Trekker with Jonathan Lindsley. Jonathan, again, you also were unable to connect with us last week uh, in terms of the first two-part uh, episode, the time where this whole notion of Talos IV being the one planet that you should never visit because the death penalty will ensue. Um, what are your thoughts on this? Because clearly this could be seen as very ambitious or it could be seen as... Is this a classic case of 21st century writers not having sufficient ideas to actually deal with other things and therefore applying things from times that have worked previously?
my impression of it was that um, it had turned into a soap opera rather than, um, so it was a drama series rather than individual episodes that made sense in their own right. And one of the joys for me of Star Trek was you could pick it up and put it down, the original series, and each episode was complete in its own right or more or less complete in its own right. They very rarely went into two episodes or anything like that. So I found that a bit disturbing. I couldn't fathom the plot of the dead doctor who seemed to be gay and have two lovers. I couldn't quite work out what was going on there. Um, but uh, I guess he was angry at somebody for doing something to him, which made him have a fight in what I assumed was some sort of bar If area. it helps, Jonathan, um, the character called Tyler, who was also a uh, construct, a kind of combination of the genetic quality of a former Klingon called Volk, who was killed by Michael Burnham, actually killed the Doctor, who was indeed the partner of Stamets. And that whole aspect there was uh, the Doctor had come back to the ship. He'd been returned from the dead through his time in the spore space, as we refer to it. And then effectively, he was dealing with the quite literal post-traumatic stress disorder that was actually faced by the characters. I don't know, Robin, does that kind of summarise that that whole yes. challenge, which again, yeah. this is what I would have going? eventually gotten round to because there are two stories going on here. One is Spock's mental breakdown. And we only found Spock in the previous episode, where he is accused of murder, which is why they needed to go to Talos in order to, for the Talosians to get into his mind and figure out what his memories were. And then there's the other completely different story about Tyler Vok um, murdering the Doctor and the Doctor coming back through the spore system. You have to watch the entire series to have got to the point where you can appreciate this, which kind of, I've started watching Discovery just before Christmas, and I actually watched this episode for the first time today, and I'm still processing it, and I've been keeping up with it quite well. Um, so I, I was really interested. I mentioned to, to Alex just before we came on air, that I was really interested to see what the rest of you would make of this if you hadn't been watching the series. And it, it, it is as confusing as, as I had feared. Um, but being that I was at the point where I knew what was going on, I thought they pulled this one off very, very well. It is soap opera-ish in its way, Jonathan, but that's, I think, necessary because it's an ongoing story arc, you know, each episode is another installment of a continuing episode. And I'm kind of looking forward to seeing where they go next. Um, it, I could it's give gonna... you all the spoilers, Robin. I can Don't give you, you season dare. four. I will silence you right here, right now. I will leave the show. I will go watch the other episode on Blu-ray if I have to. Don't you mm. dare. Well... Suffice it to say, it is quite interesting. I A couple of key points in terms of where we stand now. It's all right, you can remove your fingers from your ears, Robin. Honestly, it's obviously so you're looking to have Vulcan ears. Um, I found this particular incarnation of Trek interesting. I, I have kind of gone up and down with it in terms of appreciating it, and it has split Trek fandom. There's an awful lot of concern about 
the character of Michael Burnham, uh, how, in a sense, she was part of the Spot family and was obviously adopted uh, by Sarek of Vulcan and taken on board. Uh, and then, of course, she left. And one way in which I think you can certainly begin to uh, take this apart is see it in the same way as J.J. Uh, Abrahams and Alex Kurtzman actually did in the original scenario, that they've reset time again because the Red Angel visiting Spock uh, clearly actually set up another alternate timeline in which the character Michael Burnham is never even referred to because obviously she's dead. Um, see, or- I thought until I started doing some research in order to try and find a succinct way of summing up this episode and where we are right now, I thought that this was set in the Kelvin timeline that's been established by the J.J. Abrams films, because in many ways it's at odds with established Star Trek canon history, because we were told in Star Trek V Spock had a brother that we'd never heard of up to that point called Cybok. Now, he seems to have been wiped out because this is set during, you know, Trek Prime kind of thing. Um, We also were aware for years that the only mission to Talos had been Christopher Pike's, as we saw in the flashback sequences of the Menagerie. And now they're setting it that he's had at least two um, meetings with the Telosians. So it's it's resetting a lot, but in order to enjoy this for what it is, I find it best to forget everything that has gone before. Otherwise, I'll just be tying myself in knots and getting into a toxic fan rage, which I don't want to do because I'm enjoying this so much. Where I come from, the one holding the phaser asks the questions. Not a line I think Gene Rodenbury would have liked to have actually incarnated in the original series. But Jessica, back back to yourself. Uh, we saw a number of characters emerging here. We see, of course, uh, Michael Burnham's character, uh, as, I, as I mentioned, the uh, stepsister of, of Spock, or Spock being her, 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 her stepbrother, played by Sonika Martin-Green. Um, we saw, obviously, the Telosians, and I must admit, a little disappointed that they felt they had to re-coordinate uh, the Telosian uh, design, but then if we're resetting the universe, why not? And, of course, we saw the character Vina, uh, played once again by a different actress, as you'd expect, because clearly um, the original actress is, is, is uh, no longer on this particular timescale, Melissa George plays uh, plays Vina. So let's let's talk a little bit more about delving down. Is this something that makes you want to see more or is it one of those cases where actually this is part of what episodic trek as Jonathan rightly said sometimes actually have that you can watch episodes not necessarily in in the right order from different seasons and they still carry a message without having to sort of think where are we going with this? I think like any Star Trek episode it's very evocative of you know it pulls a lot of emotions um but i do i do agree with jonathan that it's it is noticeable that the original series you could kind of watch them and it had like a plot but it's like you kind of watch um them in any order and it feels like you can easily pick up on what's going on with every other episode that we've watched on um residence rewind but with this there's definitely some parts of it that i i was trying to piece together with the context clues um about what else was going on but I still feel like it was entertaining just by itself. Um, 
because some of the characters were familiar like there's Spock um and it was cool getting to meet a new character like Michael um so I still feel like there's a lot of merit to it and I feel like you have to probably know a bit about Star Trek um and I'm sure people who know more about it than I do like my mom was picking up on more than I was um will probably enjoy it a lot I still liked it though because I think it was just a fun adventure I you got to go to another planet the Telosians were there that's always cool I, I love illusions and um I think that's such a cool power so I think that's really interesting seeing into people's minds and it plays a lot with time which suits an, uh, a season that's kind of a spin-off set in the past very well um and it is interesting hearing you all talk about the continuity between the other se- seasons just because it's something I wouldn't really pick up on so it is neat getting to see more into that um Plus, like, they, it had a tiny Spock. <laughs> they had Spock as a little kid, and he was so cute. <laughs> that, was, that was so sweet. So <laughs> it was still very fun. Yeah, clearly, if all else fails, bring out the tiny Spock. Um, best line for me, probably, again, echo to a whole range of things. Is there a valid question in your arsenal? Yes. You really think the beard is working? Jonathan, did you warm to any of the personifications and the characters that we actually saw there? Did you want to find out more? Well, I warmed to Spock because I actually thought that they got the voice right. So he actually sounded like Leonard Nimoy, which I thought was quite clever. And I don't know if the actor does sound like that or if it was cleverly done with some sort of sound effect. But he does. A bit like the sound effect that's working on your voice at present, Jonathan, but that's okay. Have I got a sound effect? That, that's anyway. It's, it's 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 better when you actually get closer to the microphone. When you're a bit away, it, it sounds oh. a little bit echoey. Oh, okay, sorry about that. I'll I'll lean in. I'm on a telephone rather than my normal computer. You see, so I'm I'm away at the moment. Exactly. Um, I'm in, in delightful Yorkshire Dales in Skipton. But anyway, um, yes. Yeah, so what I was going to say was uh, two things about this uh, show. One is that you had to care about Star Trek. Um, to watch it, I think, because it was so um, confusing um, that if you just dropped into it and didn't know any of the history of the programme, you would be utterly confused. Um, The other thing that I thought was quite difficult for me as an avid watcher of the old Star Trek was how with 21st century techniques um, making uh, making the programme, that it was hard for me to believe that this was 10 years after or before the other series was shot. So I sat there thinking, but look at those fantastic effects that weren't in the first episode. And look at the costumes and look at the way everybody's psychoanalyzing everybody. And, and I kind of liked the simplicity of the initial series and the fact that it was, it was groundbreaking the first time. And I kind of hankered for somebody to have made a kind of historical version in which everybody did sit in chairs and rock about instead of being able to do that with CGI or create. But um, so I kind of half enjoyed it and kind of half didn't like it. So I I really have mixed feelings about it. So it's it's difficult. I don't know that I'd watch another Discovery. I don't know that I would. Uh, Um, I liked liked other manifestations of uh, of Star Trek. I enjoyed um, The Next Generation. And uh, and I even quite liked some of the Deep Space Nine mm. series, but uh, but this one didn't do it for me. 
really. I'll, I'll throw in another potential bombshell. And sadly, we haven't been able to be joined by Larry Nemechek because I'm sure Larry will have lots of, of things to, to say as well in terms of, well, there were lots of people who didn't like Voyager, Enterprise, uh, Next Generation, Deep Space Nine and so on. Actually, I like all of those series. However, in this instance, I'm finding it really quite difficult with a few noticeable ex notable exceptions. Uh, people like Pike, of course, who arguably is a throwback to the original series as well. I'm really finding it very difficult to warm to any of the crew members of the Discovery in terms of Starfleet Command, etc. with Section 31 being run by Philippa Giorgio, who effectively is from the Mirror Universe. Again, a little bit of backstory here is the evil Empress there with Leland effectively having his own agenda which manifests itself in its own way with the kind of throwaway to Arian. Uh, Tilly, please do not get me started on Tilly. Mary Wiseman tries, but honestly, how that woman ever actually got to the stage of even becoming an <laughs> ensign is frankly beyond me. Um, and this is actually where you see her at her, her better elements of things from that point of view. Um, and it takes a lot of time. And even Michael Burnham, to a certain extent, sometimes comes across as perhaps a bit too portentous. And I do share, Jonathan, my big concern that, yes, we have the technology today to produce um, a version of Trek, which arguably is being done in all sorts of ways, but which isn't as hyper sophisticated as what we see with the whip pans, the J.J. Abraham lens flare with all of the sort of things that are actually there. I think T.J. Scott, who is the director, has done a very good job but actually produce something within the canon of Star Trek Discovery, alternate timelines, etc., rather than the original series. Nevertheless, the music by Jeff Russo is very good and the theme is great. And I do feel it's interesting, although I can understand why there has been a huge schism created in, in Star Trek uh, world of, of fans, etc., between people who actually say this is not Star Trek. This just doesn't connect with that whole side of things. Jessica, uh, we're back to your good self again. What about characters? I mean, how, am I being a bit mean there? I mean, is it a case of Saru? What a wonderful person. I mean, after all, Saru's just been through his own traumatised scenario when he's realised that actually he wasn't a prey. He was actually the predator on his own particular planet. And, uh, and as a Kelpian, he's obviously just deciding to let everybody fight themselves out. I do feel like some of the characters, I wasn't um, as invested in all the characters. Like, I think... Um... You know, some of them were having issues and I was just like with the fight I didn't care who won that fight I didn't care who won the cafeteria exactly. at all. <laughs> you know, who cares let, let them get on with it yeah I was just more entertained um I didn't I wasn't scared for any character um yeah I, mean, I think I care about Spock just because you know he's from the original Star Trek so you already have an attachment to him and um I thought the, the interactions between Spock and Michael were really nice I did like Michael's character I feel like out of all of them um, she was the one that I was able to kind of want to learn more about and he want to hear more backstory and would want to kind of watch more of the show to hear about. Um, so I think that there are some characters that I, I think are well done, but others, I just, I don't feel that warmth towards them that I might in an episode of Star Trek, even if I'm not familiar with the Star Trek characters, I still like hearing and seeing them. Um, and yeah, I don't know if it's just like the characters themselves or if it's like the Star Trek Discovery show. I'm not quite sure why I'm not feeling as much of an attachment, but I definitely understand how you're feeling. It's also intriguing that Netflix, who obviously bankrolled the first uh, three seasons, effectively refused to go any further 
which is why we can't see it on Netflix in, in, in Britain anymore. And, and obviously Paramount's had to juggle around with that. So there, there have been issues in terms of audiences, etc. Robin, all that said, I mean, clearly Discovery has paved the way for a whole new series of incarnations of Trek, including uh, Chris Pike actually getting his own show uh, back on the Enterprise again with the uh, original uh, cast pre-Kirk and, and, and so on. Uh, they're going back to standalone episodes. Is this a case of, well, they've had a lot of debate and after all, they did shoot it in Canada. So they'd obviously talk about a rock quarry. I mean, there were lots of homages to the original thing, including the use of the term half-breed, which was used in the original series several times. Uh, not and, only and in of terms course, of, uh, the original sound effect when they, they land on Talos, you've got that sort of um, chimey sort of uh, sound effect. I, I just like to talk about the, the effects for a second. Um, there exists a Blu-ray set, which I own, of the original Star Trek series. And you have the option of either watching the episodes as they were, all cleaned up with original effects, or the episodes with all new CGI effects. And the last time I did a run-through of the episodes, which was year before last, I decided I would I would try these new effects. And against everything I know and hold dear, I actually preferred the new effects. There, I've said it. It's heresy. Burn me at the stake. But it actually brought Star Trek itself, other than the set design, um, which remained. But I'm talking about all the effects of the Enterprise flybys, the Doomsday Machine, the various planets. They... they it brought it in line with what they're doing these days. And I thought it, and it, it works, actually, Robin. It works it, as a series. But this really is something works. which is supposedly set 10 years before that. And it looks yeah. infinitely more advanced. It does look infinitely more advanced. But then again, so did Enterprise and uh, Archer, um, which was Ooh. the last, you know. I, so, I think... I think I will agree to differ on that one, if memory <laughs> serves. Jonathan, uh, let, let, let's talk about... If we're talking about... Characters. Yeah. Um, I'm surprised you didn't like uh, Ensign Sylvia Tilly because to me, she she comes across, you know, you watch any any Star Trek episode and any female cast member has a perfect hourglass figure and is, you know, could walk a catwalk somewhere. Mary Wiseman mm -hmm. obviously does not have that perfect figure. And she represents the ordinary person. She is in many ways, I feel, the heart and soul of, of, of Discovery. Um, Lieutenant Commander Paul Stamets, the guy with the bleach blonde hair, I, he annoys me a little bit because in every scene he's ever had, and let's face it, they plug the whole starship into him to get into their sport like thing. Yeah. He always looks worried, but then I think I'd look worried as well if I knew I was going to have the entire starship plugged into my arms. Um, Sonika Martin-Green is Commander Michael Burnham. I, I don't understand why they've given her a, a male name, but maybe that's me being too 20th century. Mickey Spock. But, but, she seems to me to be too much trouble for, for Starfleet to have kept on. I mean, she should have been executed ages ago for... High treason. 
<laughs> going back to the first season. But mm. I do like Philippa Giorgio because Michelle Yeoh is great in everything. Um, but my favorite character out of all, the one that I've warmed most to is Doug Jones as Saru. He, he is my Spock or my data in this particular um, instance of Star Trek. And he's the one that I've gravitated to oh. because I think that nobody does physical acting quite as well as Doug Jones does. I mean, just, just look at him um, as Abe Sapien in the, the Hellboy movies, for example. I mean, the, the, the guy is just amazing. And the, the, the makeup on him is amazing as well. Uh, fairly major point, Robin, but I'm sure you'll have actually heard the whole system that uh, Burnham does eventually become captain of the Discovery when they reach the 30th century. What did anyway. I say about spoilers? What did I say? Jonathan, back to nope. yourself Hello. and characters. Okay, well, um, to be honest with you, because I was coming fresh to Discovery, um, some of what everybody said just now <clears throat> has allowed me to remember some of the characters, which I thought largely were very unmemorable. Um, I think that's because of the soap opera element of it, which is that you probably have some of the plots and stories and that they weren't, you, we didn't, I didn't have enough um, pre-knowledge of those characters. I guess because I learned the original Star Trek series characters, you knew who everybody was. You knew Sulu and 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 all the other oh, characters had. Well, they all had style. They all had a certain thing that they did. Um, and and then if you wanted to introduce anybody who was going to die, you introduced a yeoman who nobody recognised at all, and then you killed them instantly on the planet, which was great um, because you didn't have to worry about any of the major characters getting killed, which was great. Um, this episode, uh, for me, the characters, I kind of liked the um, Talusians because I thought they were weird. And I kind of didn't get, I mean, it seemed a very strange deal that all they wanted to know to save Spock's life was his memories of a relationship that he had with his sister all those years before. I didn't quite understand what they got out of that, really. But I did quite like them because they were kind of, they were fairly benevolent. And they had some amazing powers. And I suppose if I was watching anything in that show, I quite liked them. Um, they, they were my favourite characters. I mean, they were kind of homogenous. They were, they were um, I, I, didn't, I didn't like one over another. They seemed to be a complete unit. But the three or four that we saw all seemed quite, um, quite benevolent and quite kind. And I kind of liked that. They were a greater power, as it were. And, um, and that often cropped up in the original Star Trek. So I think I felt at home.
and if we see this as a sequel of sorts to the cage as opposed to the menagerie you get that sense of how the that the continuity was actually there and uh, uh, duly uh, developed and addressed music Can I, just I thought answer was answer a point of of Jonathan's um i think it was set in the cage and the menagerie um but what they got from this was um they lived vicariously through the feelings and emotions of of others that they ah. had it was set in that episode that um they weren't even able to fix their own machinery and they they could just develop their minds and they were they were telepaths they could feel what you felt and that's what living was to them they lived so by they're emotion vampires is what you're saying exactly yes that's it exactly yeah. i it. just and just wanted to point that oh, out well in which case i like them even more exactly <laughs> And the dreams of others were like a narcotic to them, which worked on that system. I'll give a plug to Jeff Russo, who I think, again, has, has done an extremely good job with respect to the music and worked uh, well with respect to that. Um, any other points, Jessica, that you'd like to make about the way it's panning out? And, I mean, Jonathan said he's not going to watch anymore. It's unlikely that. I mean, and it's not listed as one of our, our upcoming things for quite some time. I, I did want to use it because I felt it was useful to refer back to, obviously, the two-parter that we looked at previously in terms of the menagerie uh the first two-parter in star trek history um and any other thoughts in terms of what you'd like to share would he be would he be returning to discovery or is it a case of well there's discovery there's picard there's lower decks there's all so many delightful things that actually that's trek heaven at present yeah i feel like i should watch more of the original series and see the classics first to build the, the proper foundation and then I think I need to build up from there. Um, so I'm sure I'll run into Discovery in the future. But I think right now I need to stick with the with the tried and true series. Um, I think that'll make my parents too happy too. <laughs> Sp spoken like a genuinely good honors graduate, Jessica. I think that's, that's very good. That, that, that shows positivity from that side of things there. Uh, okay, so Jonathan, if we were asking for a score for this, which obviously we are, what would you provide for if memory serves? Or will that change tomorrow or the day after? Or whichever way we're looking I'm, at it? I'm going to give it a score based on just watching a programme for the first time without any knowledge of Star Trek or anything. So I'm going to say that it was probably a six for me um, because some of the effects were good, some of the sounds... Uh, you're right about the music... Um, you're right about the, uh, the, the, the way it was put together as a piece of, of theatre, as a piece of television. I thought it was quite well done. And so I don't want to mark it down for that. Um, if I was marking it as a person who knows something about Star Trek, and, and then I'd probably give it a four. So I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with six because I think that's about where it sits for me. And again, I have to say that I tend to vacillate quite a lot with respect to this one um, and the entire Discovery series. Initially, I was quite encouraged by it, but then I felt they overdid the Klingons. They did various other aspects with them. I feel in some senses they're almost trying too hard to straddle uh, classic Trek with new Trek. And they're ending up with something which is not necessarily satisfying any camp. Although, again, running down the line, who knows what could happen? Jessica, what's your score? I would give it a six and a half um, because I think it has promise and I would be interested in watching more of it in the future. 
Um, but it is interesting that you mentioned trying too hard because that's exactly what my mom said. Um, and she, before saying she would have given it a three. <laughs> um, so I think she'd agree. <laughs> I mean, it is one of those things where one of the joys of the original Trek series was you could dip in and dip out and, and see stories which were holistically put together. Yes, there was a progression. There were things that did actually happen uh, as the, with the movies. But the same thing with respect to Voyager, with respect to uh, Enterprise, all of those aspects. And I do take issue. I think actually the, the technology in Enterprise was distinctly more primitive. It was a, a, a century before uh, the, the, the Kirk era. But that's a, a, another issue. And that was obviously under Rick Berman as opposed to Alex Kurtzman. Um, I'll, I'll throw in my, and, and ultimately there was a moment where I thought this could be as high as an eight, but in the end it's settling on six and a half for me. It, it, because again, and the reason for that is the Vulcan separatist movement. They throw in this line <laughs> such as, well, she had to leave Michael Burnham because the Vulcan separatist movement would have actually attacked the whole uh, Sarek household and killed everybody not in the Vulcan that I was aware of that had actually gone through all the process. And if, if that was the case, why hadn't they already done it earlier if there were that many, of, if there, there were that many Vul Vulcan, pure Vulcan folk who actually hated the notion of half-breeds and connections with other races and so on. However... You're not Robin, saying it's illogical, are you? It is completely illogical. Robin. <laughs> See, points like yours is what make, makes me more comfortable to think this is the Kelvin timeline. It's not... Trek Prime. Anyhow, anyhow, I'm coming at this a little bit differently um, because, as I said, I, I watched the first box set last late last year when I saw this was coming up, and I'm up to this point. So the questions I've got to ask myself is, do I like the characters? Well, yes, I do. Am I going to watch any more? Well, yes, I am. I've already got box set number three. Uh, do I care about the characters? Yes, I do. Um... This was, I'm not saying that this was anywhere near as good or as legendary as the Menagerie or indeed the Cage. Um, but I'm still processing what I saw this morning. And I would have to, we are in the mirror universe. I'm going to go with, I found it a satisfying eight. Mm. As I say, in certain instances, I can see that being the case. Ultimately, though, I do feel as though it's one of those shows that if you have to work at it so hard to understand what the heck is going on here, then I suspect it's lost its clear point of storytelling. And I would actually, as a Twilight Zone fan, Robin, I would point you in the thoughts of Mark Scott Zickray, a writer of the Twilight Zone Companion, yeah. who has some all has some very sensible views on another podcast that he actually did uh, a wee while back, where he actually reflects on this episode from a number of interesting points. But that's by the by. Uh, for the moment, in our small but perfectly formed team, um, or the survivors, perhaps that's the important thing, uh, in seven days from now, now, we'll be looking at six days via Department S because that's the next thing where we go back to the 60s, Jonathan, back to Sir Curtis uh, the, the, the the wonders of uh, uh, a uh, Jason King and more in the series Department S for the opening uh, scenario six days in the next Resonance Rewind. But for Another. this episode, I think that our varying scores have indeed displayed infinite diversity in infinite combinations. Keep uh -huh. on resonating. <laughs>